0: Listening to the one two three show with me, Noreen Mayor, on this Friday afternoon. Let's turn to the next bit of today's program. Now, due to many social distancing measures across the world, the pandemic has resulted in couples and families spending more time together at home. And not surprisingly, being in such close proximity for extended periods of time has resulted in higher stress levels. So this afternoon, we're talking about life under lockdown and some of the consequences of that. For comment, I'm delighted to be joined by Anna Fenton, the founder of. Counseling Confidential. Anna, it's great to speak to you again. How are you doing? I'm not so bad,
1: not so bad, Noreen, here. Got over bronchitis, but back again. Oh,
0: no. Oh, well... (laughs) Lucky it was bronchitis and and, and nothing else. But of course, you still have to look Uh, after. Well, yeah, yeah, because that might make people more susceptible to um, other more serious um, illnesses, um, which is why we're in the fourth wave uh, here again. So as we sort of enter the fourth wave of COVID-19 here in Hong Kong, I understand that you've been working uh, with individuals and people. Perhaps let's talk about some of the consequences of lockdown life.
1: Well, interesting, uh, particularly for family dynamics, you know, families are systems and um, they're always trying to stay in balance in homeostasis. So if anything is uh, applying pressure to the family, uh, you know, the whole system can easily get out of whack. And that's what we're tending to see now. Families are under increasing pressure. And this is sort of um, the pivot points will come around typically education at home, uh, starting with the the K1 kindy Kiddies, the three-year-olds, who are suddenly stuck at home now being parked in front of a Zoom. And of course, to the to the small child, they, their mental development is not yet at the stage of understanding that this isn't Sesame Street. To them, it, it, it's just another thing on a screen. Now, earlier on in the year, as you remember, the breakup in the kindergarten education was, um, they got the chance uh, to meet their teachers for about a month and a bit. But there was also the first month was Zoom. But then they got to meet the teachers on, uh, for real. So now that's been greatly helped because the child's magical thinking, if you like, they can now connect the person they see on the screen with the real person they met. That's very helpful. But the problem is now uh, I'm seeing the parents are often arguing and fighting about how to manage the Zoom interaction with the helper often being the one who's dealing with it and indeed the parent at home. And this highlights, I think, what we could call expectations among what are often very competitive Hong Kong parents when they imagine uh, little Johnny should be doing perhaps, you know, sums and maths and things, even though they are only three. They don't realize um, before they saw what he was doing that he wasn't doing that. They learn through play. So I'm often seeing now parents are coming in on a Zoom call that the kid is having and finding out that they're being taught through play on the Zoom and they're thinking, this isn't my expectation. I was expecting little Johnny to be doing maths, not realizing that he never did that. But now you've got parents seeing the zoom lesson and thinking, oh, it's not doing what I expect them to be doing from my competitive parent tiger mom perspective. And so that's setting up, you know, discussions between the parents. And now the schools are having to deal with, well, why is Johnny not doing, uh, you know, sums. So we have to understand that parents expectations need to be more appropriate perhaps. And this goes all the way up the line. I think parents are now seeing what the kids do and are getting involved in good and bad
0: ways. Absolutely, and I I can attest to that. Uh, My my little, my my eldest is in (laughs) kindergarten one, and I've spoken to some parents who actually want the teachers to film the, to record the Zoom or the Google lesson and then to send it back to them so that they can watch it again with the kids. So then the kids are effectively doing double of the classes each day, the actual class, and then revisiting the recording of it. And where does this expectation come from? I mean, we were once students ourselves and we were once children ourselves. Surely, you know, we remembered at three, we, we weren't learning maths um, through holding a calculator or doing sums. We, we also learned through play, sort of, I think.
1: <laughs> I think this goes right to the point of a certain, uh, I don't want to pick anyone out here, but a certain type of Hong Kong parent who's highly competitive and success driven. And they see their kids and, as, as part of their own reputation, as an extension of them, if you as like. As extension. Not of as. Yes. Yeah, not as individual kids. So the shame and the glory is attached to their child. So they identify greatly with what the kid is doing because they're they're getting together with their friends and there's a lot of competitive discussion about how the kids are doing. And then this they identify with it. And that becomes then um, an implement of pressure on the children. So now when you've got your little kindergarten ones, your three-year-olds, they're being put in front of the, the Zoom and it's not always able to see what progress they're making because they're meeting their developmental benchmarks maybe at different ages and stages and some zip ahead and some struggle with aspects of the Zoom interaction. So it can be really hard for the parents to get their fix of progress that they can talk about with their friends. And then they quickly panic. I can only say the dominant fear, uh, fear is the dominant emotion among these parents. The foam, it's, it's, it's not FOMO, it's another one. It's fear of falling behind. So F O F B, it's fof, FOF with a B. So fear of falling behind, I see, is unfortunately rising um, to the surface with these parents because they don't have benchmarks anymore.
0: And I think there's an added stress or added element where some parents are working from home. Um, so mm. they're seeing this happening and they're wondering, oh, no, my kid's not at school, not at school. They're falling behind and they've got the added stress of their own work um, also. And I think that there, initially there's that fantasy of working from home where you get to really get to spend more time with your children. But actually, the other side of the coin is you get more stressed out um, but by all of that.
1: Absolutely. And I think the great thing about actually physically going to school was out of sight was out of mind. Parents weren't, weren't um, you know, relating their expectations with the daily performance of the child as they can see it. Now they're, they're sort of monitoring it in real time and they're not really understanding what the child, a three year old's learning experience involves.
0: And I think many reports also talk about you mentioned just now that imbalanced life uh, um, at home um, also. So it's led to sort of an increase of uh, domestic abuse and also substance uh, abuse as well. Um, Definitely. Can you talk about that? Anna? I I know you also work uh, with individuals and families as well.
1: Yes, absolutely. That this is where this is coming flying to the fore now. What we're seeing is I just take the Foreign Correspondents Club because I happen to to have a close eye on what's going on there, is that the the proportion of revenue from takeaway alcohol sales used to be 1%. Well, since COVID, it's now 10%. So people are, that's just an example of how people are drinking more at home and taking drink home with them, which I I guess we didn't see before because many people did their drinking away from home. So the tensions of increased alcohol consumption at home probably don't need to be explained. Um, that is impacting directly on the, the kids in the family, but also the family members, so the parents. So we're now uh, having increased alcohol consumption at home and people really uh, upping their alcohol intake because you know, they, they don't do it by the glass at home. They'd open the bottle and most people would finish the <laughs> bottle. And that's a new thing for many people who didn't have to deal with alcohol at home. You mentioned um, substances. That's an interesting one. One of the uh, side effects of COVID has been that certain drugs like cocaine, which we would see typically arriving by commercial aircraft into Hong Kong, of course, the amount of commercial aircraft has uh, just dried up. So the ability for drug dealers to get their supplies of cocaine into Hong Kong has been severely impacted. Now, I think customs have done some great work caught some cocaine inputs uh, that have been coming in on shipments and in containers but obviously that's not the way that they normally do it it's um coming in on planes so the supply of good quality cocaine has become really scarce this has driven up the price at street level and also made it just really hard to get get your hands on now i would see uh, a lot of youngish guys in finance lawyers particularly dealing with the international the dreaded zoom calls to Europe and to New York uh, they're normal <laughs> they would normally abuse typically abuse cocaine to keep them awake because it's a stimulant during very late night calls so they could be sharp on say calls to New York in the middle of what is the middle of our night now they can't get the cocaine so we would now see them abusing ADHD drugs such as Adderall and Ritalin, Ritalin. which act Yes, which act as stimulants. If you don't have an ADHD brain, uh, i.e. your brain goes at the normal speed, not too fast, um, then that has the effect of speeding you up because it affects uh, two neurotransmitters called dopamine and norepinephrine, which are stimulants, brain stimulants. So when you take um, Adderall and you have a normal speed brain that causes you to be more, uh, less shall we say less risk averse so more prone to taking risks and causes sleep disruption which if you're trying to stay awake is helpful so we see abuse of these drugs and That's for the first so time in hong kong we're because i used now to seeing think... these have a street value whereas they've had a street value in new york for a while but we're now seeing ritalin having a street value in hong kong
0: that's so interesting what you mentioned about the brain chemistry, because, you know, we always thought Ritalin, you know, the ADHD drug was something that sort of slowed down the minds a little bit, keep people more calm. But it, oh, it does
1: if you have an ADHD brain, which yes. tends to go too fast and have attention, yes. uh, you know, problems holding attention and they tend to be super impulsive and to, to work very speedily. Whereas the opposite and, and that, and then the way Ritalin affects uh, there's, it, the, the reabsorption of those neurotransmitters in an ADHD brain is to slow them down. But if you have a normal speed brain, it has the opposite effect is my understanding and speeds you up. So it's like a poor man's cocaine in a way.
0: So out of curiosity, where are these people getting these Ritalin then? I mean, you mentioned just now it's hard to get cocaine because of air flight. So where, you know, where's the influx of Ritalin and where are they getting their hands? Uh, where are they getting it, a hold of the Ritalin? Well,
1: some people, even as adults, have a diagnosis of ADHD and they would be prescribed Ritalin as adults. That's not common, however, Uh, But now people are able to get it from certain dodgy pharmacies that will just dole it out to you. But also there's um, some smart teenagers have figured out how to get uh, Ritalin out of their doctor. If they yeah, I know, don't laugh, but they they're not. You know, teenagers are really smart these days and some of them have figured out that if they go along and present with the symptoms and they know what to say, you know, I'm having trouble concentrating or I'm very impulsive or I'm really struggling Mm -hmm. and things aren't going well with my homework, it's not too difficult to persuade a doctor to give you some Ritalin. Um, You can then sell that uh, yourself. Now, certain unscrupulous teenagers would then use the money they get from selling the Ritalin that they know they don't need um, to get what they might prefer, they might prefer marijuana, for example. Of course, all this bypasses the, the parent uh, portal in terms of the pocket money. So they're able to do a bit of creative um, entrepreneurship with the Ritalin. I'm seeing that. Not common, but enough to see that they're doing it.
0: Well, interesting, you mentioned sort of bypassing the the parental portal, if you like. Let's talk about sort of a parent relationship with teenagers. Um, it's It's never easy to parent a child, let alone sort of parenting a teenager. Um uh, with the pandemic, um what sorts of added challenges ha- have you seen or have you heard?
1: Well, it, they're turning to show up in my office with parents who are now having friction in their own relationship because of the good cop, bad cop dynamic, particularly as as you said earlier, one or both parents is usually not around that much. Now the one that's not around that much is around much more and is starting to disrupt the normal uh, way of doing business at home. So they're now maybe, um, shall we say, being a little more concerned uh, with what the kids are up to. This takes the form uh, perhaps of interference in terms of how the kid sees it. And so you've now got Say, Let's say mom is used to letting the kid do their thing and they just quietly get on with it at home. Let's say it's dad and he's now at home a lot more and he's going, well, you know, why are you gaming for hours and hours? And how do I know you're not gaming instead of doing your homework? And, you know, what's happening to your grades? And so the kids are now facing much more scrutiny in many cases and mom who never questioned the closed door and, you know, oh, I'm doing my homework, mom. Yes, dear, carry on as long as the grades are good, I won't question that. Now dad is often, or mom, is not the one usually there, is um, turning up. And in many cases uh, going, how come he's allowed to spend five hours gaming? You know, is, is that normal? And so now you're facing parents who are now questioning this kind of stuff between each other. And again, teenagers sort of sitting there going, hmm, okay. And teenagers now with the internet, I think a lot of parents just let them go and don't control the hours that they're online. So parents are now scrutinizing that a lot more, trying to impose discipline, which in many cases is, meeting, uh, is unwelcome by the teenager, and that's meeting resistance.
0: I suppose the the, the line is quite blurred, you know, how do you know when your child is sort of doing online classes or doing project online with their classmates versus online gaming or or other things? Because they're just sat in front of a screen unless you're sort of sitting there with them watching what's on the monitor. It's hard to know if they're just in their room, what they're doing on their computers. (laughs) Gosh, this is so stressful. uh,
1: Well, you've gone right to the heart of it, really. I don't think that this generation of parents realize the highly addictive nature of all internet activities and how they really must um, discipline the kids into understanding that it's not healthy to spend relentless hours online, that you have to actually break it up into how many screen hours a day is healthy and balance this with physical activity for every reason from eyesight, you know, our focal length, if it's, we're not designed to sit and just do short focal length work. Our eyes are designed to also look at the horizon. Well, if you're just staring at a screen for seven hours straight, that's gonna really affect your eyesight long-term. Also your concentration span. What we do is we train our brains to hop from file to file and thing to thing if we're just looking online. Whereas, you know, the idea of multitasking is a myth. Our brains don't concentrate that way. We focus on one thing at a time, and then we have to close it and then move to the next thing. So if we're constantly jumping between computer files and pages which are open, we're training our brain to just concentrate in short time lapses, whereas we need to train our brains to be able to focus longer. If we're ever going to achieve efficacy at at an activity, we have to be able to focus for long periods of time. You know, for most skills, like from playing the piano to to anything really that we need mastery of we're talking about a thousand practice hours solid practice hours to achieve any kind of mastery of a new skill so you can imagine if we're just hopping around online that's not going to be something we can achieve easily
0: and also, you know, teenagers ha- have a sort of mechanism to detach themselves, whether it's from their parents or from school or from work or what have you. So how can parents um, help motivate their children to sort of stay on the course, um, not to, I don't know, not to not concentrate at school and, and just to have better communication w- with their parents? Um, because, you know, a lot of times the responsibility should should lie with the parents. We're the mature, well, more mature ones, um, and, and we should sort of... Um, um, to um, make the start. So how can parents motivate their children in these areas?
1: Well, it starts by modeling good computer use yourself. So, you know, kids if you're stuck can on only learn. on your computer the whole yeah. time or
0: your mobile phone, <laughs> you can't expect them to not be on their it, it, own devices.
1: Exactly. And I say it starts at mealtimes. Does everyone agree to have screen-free meals? And more more often than not, I hear that now families don't even get together for one meal a day let alone have a policy of no screens at the table. So, you know, what is this modeling? If, if dad is eating a sandwich while he's online um, and not coming to the table, then why is the son going to think that that's important? So it starts with parents modeling good behavior, starting with meals at the table and not having um, n- no phones and, and make that the rule. Parents have got to understand, in many cases, they've used the computer as the remote babysitter for too long now, and the pacifier and the soother, now they're paying the price, because the kids have learned that they can just do what they like online, so they don't take well to being told, well, what are you looking at? Uh, All of a sudden, there's this level of interest in what they're doing. So uh, parents have to actually play hardball on this and say, no, we have to start having accountability For the number of hours online because if there's too much online activity it will start to affect kids ability to sleep this also affects their ability to learn so screen screen activity is highly stimulating to the brain and it will make it very difficult for them to sleep if they've been looking at a screen say two hours before bedtime that that time needs to be no screen time in order for them to sleep properly so parents are going to have to get used to in many cases starting early by maybe putting the screens on a table. So when kids are using it, um, adults are going to walk by often, which means that the kid doesn't have the right to use this this highly potentially dangerous tool in private in the room, that it's got to be brought into the realm of accountability if there's to be any self-discipline. Now modern parents don't really like this idea because it means saying no to children Now, no is a perfectly formed sentence, but most parents don't like to deal with the fact that their kid will react badly to this and stamp their foot and, you know, um, get very upset when they're told. Because of the addictive nature of this, you know, every time you get a ping on your WhatsApp, you get a little dopamine hit we might need to no, revisit that's this topic. highly addictive
0: we'll definitely have to revisit this topic with you anna uh, meanwhile thank you so much for your time this afternoon and that's anna fanton the founder of counseling confidential and we'll post uh, your website in the facebook uh page today as well thank you so much for your time this afternoon and merry christmas anna and we'll speak to you same to you everybody and thank you very much okay. indeed a quick look at Bye the now. weather forecast for this afternoon and